Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline, Deal or No Deal. Just over an hour ago, President Trump made his first public offer to Democrats since the partial government shutdown began 29 days ago. The president proposed temporary extension of protections for DACA and temporary protected status recipients in exchange for his border wall. Take a listen. In order to build the trust and goodwill necessary to begin real immigration reform, there are two more elements to my plan. Number one, is three years of legislative relief for 700,000 DACA recipients brought here unlawfully by their parents at a young age many years ago. Secondly, our proposal provides a three-year extension of temporary protected status, or TPS. On the president's announcement, let's go to CNN White House reporter Sarah Westwood. Sarah, what, what do we know? Well, SC, what we saw from President Trump today was the broadest proposed deal with the president's backing that we've seen so far in this shutdown. But right now, there's little indication that any Democrats are biting. In fact, many of them started rejecting the idea of this kind of proposal earlier today before the president even made his speech here at the White House. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also throwing cold water on the prospects for this kind of deal in the House, saying in part in a statement, initial reports make clear that his proposal is a compilation of several previously rejected initiatives, each of which is unacceptable and in total do not represent a good faith effort to restore certainty to people's lives. It is unlikely that any one of these provisions alone would pass the House and taken together, they are a non-starter. Now, the president's proposal, of course, doesn't do anything to solve the fundamental issue at work here, which is the Democrats have said they won't negotiate on a deal until the government is reopened. President Trump said he won't reopen the government until a deal is negotiated. And it's important to note uh, that even though they can't agree on a starting point, President Trump also previously said that he would not support this kind of proposal, a DACA for wall funding trade. But senior administration officials this evening, SE, are saying that the president decided to support this kind of proposal after hearing from rank and file members on both sides of the aisle. Sarah, thanks. So what does the president's offer to Democrats really change? Is the shutdown over? Is the wall coming? I'm going to get right to the deal tonight. To quote Frank Costanza, this deal, this isn't my kind of deal. That's right. Trump's salvo to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It's hardly a deal at all. Here's why. For one, it still includes $5.7 billion in funding for a wall. A wall Pelosi has said again today she will not consider. For another, it doesn't reopen the government. Democrats have also been clear they won't negotiate an immigration deal while the government is shut down. Then there's the DACA element. Democrats and even Trump himself have previously moved away from a temporary extension of protection for DACA recipients because that very issue 
has moved into the court system. But the real reason this deal is no deal, it comes at the end of a very bad week for the president. As the very real shutdown effects come into sharp focus and the White House struggles to spin this in their favor, this deal seems more like a distraction and less like a real solution. Just look at the president's very bad week. There were those shutdown polls, all of them, which showed Americans placed the blame for the government shutdown squarely on the shoulders of President Trump. These are just four of the polls. It was also a week of terrible optics and terrible pain. The U.S. Coast Guard became the first branch of the military to go without pay as a result of a government shutdown. More than 40,000 members of that service branch got no paycheck on Friday. Some were told to hold garage sales to make some extra cash. The Coast Guard also accepted a donation from USAA to assist service members in need. What a disgrace to our men and women in uniform. There was also that cringeworthy tit-for-tat between the president and Pelosi that began with Pelosi's State of the Union gimmick, suggesting Trump submitted in writing over so-called security concerns. Now, instead of leaving that to ratio on Twitter, though, the president matched it with a cancellation of Pelosi's overseas congressional delegation to Brussels, Egypt and Afghanistan, drawing the ire of many, including Republicans like Trump wingman Senator Lindsey Graham, who tweeted, one sophomoric response does not deserve another. Finally, of course, the president had Rudy Giuliani to contend with his eyebrow-raising interview with our Chris Cuomo on Wednesday, in which the lawyer lied and said he never said the Trump campaign hadn't colluded with Russians, surely didn't do the president any favors, though BuzzFeed did. Anywho, the president seems to be paying a hefty price for failing to get his wall when he more easily could have, failing to avert a government shutdown, and now failing to get it back opened quickly. So will this non-deal turn the tide? Let me ask a Democratic lawmaker, Connecticut Congressman Jim Himes. Welcome. Thanks, Essie. Okay, so was this deal to Democrats, which includes the whole funding for the wall, was it a non-starter? Um, it is a non-starter, but, but let's, let's step away, because I, I think there's some good news to be gleaned from this. Um, oh, and good. that is that we, there is a negotiation going on. And remember, I'm, I'm not usually in the habit of praising the president, but remember, we've come a long way from a 30-foot, beautiful, solid wall from sea to shining sea that the Mexicans would pay for. Right. That's obviously an absurd starting point, and we're not there. Now, particularly the DACA provisions, the wall is problematic, but remember he said, you know, now we've gotten away from a wall to steel slats. If you right. actually go to San Diego or El Paso, you'll see that we have uh, steel slat barriers. So my point is that, that it, yeah, it's a non-starter, you know, uh, chiefly amongst, uh, you know, the DACA recipients. Right. You know, to say to these young people, you've been living a hell of of uncertainty for two years, yeah. and now you get certainty for three more years. Mm. That's a non-starter. Now, the, of course, the big the big problem here yeah. is, um, and this is something that is not a Democratic thing or a Trump thing or an anti-Trump thing. You can't negotiate when the president says or anybody says, "I'm only going to negotiate as long as 800,000 people mm. uh, are up in the air about whether they're going to be able to put food on the table." Right. Uh, Coast Guard not getting paid. Nobody can use that mm -hmm. as a tool. And the president said, "I would be proud to shut down the government." He has that needs to turn around so deal the 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 nuts and bolts of the deal non-starter but you heard in his speech maybe some openings for give it give and take do you think that democrats risk seeming petulant uh if they don't at least appear to consider this deal 
Yeah, look, uh, you know, I've been in a lot of negotiations. We've all been in a lot of negotiations. Until you reach a deal, the deal is not acceptable. Okay. And, and again, I give the president credit for coming off the Mexican paid for a wall, you know, across the entire border. So he has moved. Uh, the problem is, um, and again, this is important to the country. And I, I tell my Republican colleagues, you know, there will be a Democratic president someday. And you don't want right. a Democratic president saying, I'm not going to pay our soldiers and our sailors until you give me legalized marijuana or uh -huh. single payer health care. Right. Let's let's take that as a policy tool <clears throat> off the table. And then you know what? I, I actually I think the president needs to come some way on DACA and on the wall. But but we're having a conversation. We're having a negotiation. That's a good thing. Let's talk about DACA. You, you, you mentioned that the, the three year temporary salve is, is a non-starter. DACA was a very urgent issue for a lot of Democrats a couple of years ago. Do you feel like it's not as urgent now that you can take this pause, not accept a three-year uh, temporary fix. Do you have some more room that you didn't think you had a few years ago? Well, the good news is that the courts have um basically put the dreamers into suspended animation. Right. Now, I say that's good news because they're not being sent to countries that they would not even remember. Mm -hmm. um, it's not good news in the sense that if you're a young person with a law degree but you're a dreamer, you know, you wonder whether that's going to be true tomorrow and the next day. That's yeah. just a degree of uncertainty that no, uh, nobody should have to live with. So, um, look, at the end of the day, the deal for the dreamers is going to need to permanently normalize mm -hmm. their status. Yeah. And that's where we're going to... And, and, you know, again, that's not a democratic Thing. You've met these young people. Of course. They're, they're energetic. They want to contribute to the country. They don't know, in many cases, the countries that they came from. A permanent solution yeah. for them is essential. I know. I know uh, many DACA recipients uh, very well, very intimately. Uh, and you're absolutely right about that. So Democrats are reportedly set to add more money to a number of spending bills that the House is going to consider next week, including $524 million to improve ports of entry in California and Arizona and another $563 million to hire more immigration judges. Um, Pelosi has said there will be no negotiating on the border while the government is shut down. Is that, though, something of a negotiation, sort of sweetening <laughs> the pot? Well, again, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, yeah. but you, you, we have to accept, I, I've been doing this for a while, I've seen three government shutdowns. We have to, for once and for all, say, you can't get petulant as a president, as a senator, as a congressman, mm -hmm. and say, if you don't repeal the Affordable Care Act, I'm shutting down the government. If right. you don't give me my wall, I'm shutting down the government. Again, this is a symmetrical thing. There will be Democrats who, if the president yeah. succeeds, someday, maybe soon, say, well, that looks like a pretty good weapon. I'm going to use it, too. And that's just not the way we should run so a you government. So see, you, you seem actually somewhat optimistic about this getting resolved soon. Well, my optimism stems from the fact that um, we are now talking about, is it DACA for three years or is it DACA permanent? You know, is it money for more lawyers, for more right. uh, judges? Uh, judges? Yeah. Is, it, is it technology? We're a long way from a 30-foot solid wall mm -hmm. from the Pacific to the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So there has been motion. And look, I think if the president, I understand the president has to play to his base. But if the, yeah. if the president can just say, um, we're going to reopen this uh, government, we're going to start paying the people who are hungry tonight, um, you would find that the Democrats would be very happy to enter into a negotiation and let the legislative process work its will. We'll see if that bears out, if either party uh, makes that theorem true. Congressman Jim Himes, thanks so much for coming in tonight. I appreciate you, it. Jesse. Okay, much more analysis and reaction to Trump's deal-making attempt next. And later, teens in MAGA hats mock a Native American elder at the Indigenous People's March.
This is a common sense compromise both parties should embrace. The radical left can never control our borders. I will never let it happen. President Trump seems to have flinched first, making an offer to Democrats on DACA. But is it an offer they can't refuse? To sort through the politics, let me bring in CNN political commentator, Republican strategist Doug High, and former executive director of the New York State Democratic Party, Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel. Basil, let me start with you. You heard uh, Democratic Congressman Jim Himes right here seconds ago. Um, I want your reaction to his take, which was that he actually heard a lot of um, movement in Trump's speech, sort of the walking back from the see the shining sea wall. Um, Did you hear those high notes as well? I I heard them, but I've heard them before because he used to talk about a wall, then he moved to border security. Uh Now he's sort of offering us this deal. Um, The truth is that... But is that progress? It... I don't think so, only because you just can't trust it. To okay. quote public enemy, can't trust it. Okay. Uh, that's the, that's okay. the problem. And, you know, look, for Democrats, this is a tough situation, too, because DACA is very important to us. I mean, it's right. very important to the country. Yes. But it's certainly important to us. Uh, we were kind of at the precipice of, of, of this before. Uh, we fell off that cliff. We're not, you know, it didn't get done. Yeah. Um, but, and the truth is, accepting a wall is really a proxy for acceptance of sort of the racism and xenophobia that's come mm. out of this White House. Mm. So by cutting a deal that includes the wall, it's tantamount to uh, sort of accepting that sort of position that the White House has been taken. So it's very difficult for us to do that as much as we want DACA mm. to, to, to be something that we can To claim. be solved. Yeah. Um, Doug, do you think Trump is operating here from a defensive position or an offensive position? Was this move because he's feeling the pressure of the shutdown? Or do you think he's trying to sort of trap Democrats, box them into coming back to the table? Yeah, it's a bit of both. He's on defense, Mm. but he has to turn this into offense. And I I thought, Mm. here's something I have never said to you probably. All right. Donald Trump is reasonable and correct here. Fact check. True. I cannot believe that I've said that, but, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's the reality. And unfortunately, you referenced the Godfather earlier. The Democrats are, are coming back at this and saying, here's my offer, Senator. Uh-huh. Nothing. Uh-huh. And I want you to pay for the casino. Uh-huh, right, the reality right, right, is right. Donald Trump has changed his position. He is, if, if they want to view this as an opening negotiating ploy and say, this isn't good enough, but we can work with you on that. Maybe we'll get to an end of this. But Trump's trying to reset the ground and show that he's being reasonable. It's unfamiliar territory for Donald Trump. Do you think the, the right Democrats move. will see it that way? Will see this as an opening? or Clearly will... leadership is not. And the one thing yeah. they should remember, learn from Republicans in 2013 when oh, yeah. we were one, yeah. what John Boehner would say is one half of one third of government. Yeah. Democrats don't have the leverage here other than Donald Trump opening his big mouth in the meeting and saying right. we can call it the Trump shutdown. Well, and also a... in 2013, the lesson, while, while Republicans got the lion's share of the blame for that shutdown, polling eventually morphed to include all of Congress. And eventually Democrats got a lot of blame, too. So this is sort of like a waiting game. I agree with that. And Democrats cannot prolong this too long before they start to get sort of ensnared in the wide net. I actually absolutely agree with that, because you had all these members of Congress that got there talking about all these progressive policies that we wanted to promote. Can't do that when we're stuck talking about the wall and there's a government shutdown. shutdown. Right. So so we need to get back to work also. So I I think you're right. We, We have a window in which um, we start to be drawn into the the, the full blame for uh, everything that's happened. Mm. But, I, you know, I, I do think that the fact that the president kept owning this oh, does yeah. give us some 
wiggle room here uh, to keep sure. pushing, to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. But you know, again, it it continues to detract from the things that we want. Well, to and eventually, about. I mean, it's true. Of course, he insisted that he owned it, but at some point, it becomes a semantic argument, and I think the American people get a little tired of the. I've said this before. The like. How did we get? How did we get pregnant? Kind of argument, right? right? We're, We're pregnant. Right. We're there. Um, mm-hmm. How are we gonna? What are we gonna do about it? Right. Um, Doug and, and and to Basil too. I'll start with Doug. Who won the battle of the cancellations? Uh, you know the so too is off, and then the plane is canceled. You're canceled. No, you're canceled. Yeah. Who do you think strategically won that? Uh, nobody. And, and and ultimately the voters lost. But I, again, I'll go back to 2013. Mm-hmm. You know, in House leadership, we canceled all of our congressional delegation trips. Mm-hmm. I was um, helping plan a trip to Asia that was off. Um, I couldn't go to the Tony Bennett concert, unfortunately. <gasps> tickets for um, on a more personal level, but we canceled all official travel. Yeah, right. Um, so right. I can't imagine what Pelosi and the Democrats were thinking, and our trip would have been a bipartisan one um, as opposed mm. to what the Democrats were planning. I-, I can't imagine why they thought that they would be able to take this trip. It's an important trip that they wanted to go on. Right. They'll get to do it, but during a shutdown, you don't do those things. That's Except what you think. that Melania wound up taking the exact same plane to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, that, oh, that's, I know. Sure. That's, you know, so it just looks incredibly petty, Yeah. right? Um, that Not what you want to see your president president doing, but yeah. it's par for the course for this president. Um, I, ultimately, nobody wins, right? Because no. the people still out of work. No, if, it, if either of these people were my child, I would say you're <laughs> both go to your rooms and don't come down. You're not getting dinner. Um, so I got to ask you guys so about uh, Ann Coulter. Sorry, gotta. She has already responded to Trump's offer and she's not for it. She said, basically, what's the point of a wall if you're just going to her words, amnesty, if you're just going to sort of legalize um, uh, dreamers. Is her opinion ultimately more important than anyone else's? It's part of why we've gotten here. But I would say to my Democratic friends, if Ann Coulter is opposed to this deal, you might want to take a second look at it. Does that <laughs> right. make us want to do it more than that? I don't, I don't know. What is it? it should. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think we should be taking Ann Coulter's advice in, in any... No, but the president basis. clearly does. Uh, Yes, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we should. Uh, but I will, I will state, state, state this interesting point. Um, <laughs> over the last 80 years, uh, this country's natural population growth has slowed considerably. Uh-huh. The yep. worst that it's been in 80 years. Mm-hmm. Immigrants are going to be an important, critical part of this country's mm-hmm. prosperity going mm-hmm. forward. Why not do this, make it permanent, so that, that these dreamers are not just sort of hanging by a thread mm-hmm. and, at the, and at the whim of the courts? But, but even so, this is a three-year deal that Trump has offered. In three years, we may not have President Trump. It may be a that Democrat who can do so. Another opportunity for Democrats. Well, and that's why I asked Congressman Himes. I remember when DACA was a very yeah. urgent, do-it-this-minute mm-hmm. conversation that we were having. And I, I, I was with them. Um, suddenly, it seems a little less urgent. Now we can sort of wait on it. His point was the court's. Mm-hmm. Uh, have sort of given a reprieve. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like this particular population has been sort of furloughed, marginalized um, as like a sort of a talking point it's going to be in the midst of all of this. It's going to be something we're going to have to deal with. We're in the 2020 cycle right now. So yes. this is something yes, that Democrats, if we're going to be the party of social and economic justice, we have to deal with this now. All right. Thanks to you both, as always. Great stuff. Doug, Basil, pleasure. Up next, whether or not a deal is ironed out in the coming days, the shutdown has already done a month of damage. I'll speak to a governor of one state about the very real impact. And later, I'll speak to the NBA player who's facing terror charges in Turkey after criticizing President Erdogan.
Could Trump be facing a primary? No one's declared their candidacy yet, but according to Politico, one governor, one very popular governor, is considering it. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has reportedly been meeting with never-Trumpers and is planning a March trip to the primary battleground state of Iowa. And in his inaugural address this week, Hogan mentioned his father, who was, incidentally, the first GOP congressman to support the removal of President Nixon. Party loyalty, he said, and personal affection and precedence of the past must fall before the arbiter of men's actions, the law itself. No man, not even the president of the United States, is above the law. Wow. Well, uh, Trump's aides took notice, reportedly calling the speech an act of aggression. Hogan easily won a second term despite Maryland's blue makeup, and I want him to know he is officially invited to come on the show and let us in on any 2020 plans he's hatching. We'll be right back. In the red file tonight, despite the president's latest efforts to bring the standoff to an end, the consequences of the shutdown continue to take their toll, not just on thousands of federal workers, but on you as well. How? Well, let's start with the food you eat. Inspections by the Food and Drug Administration have been sharply reduced during the shutdown, increasing the chances of foodborne illnesses. The FDA is also running short on money for new drugs, making their way through the approval process. And if the shutdown continues to drag out, patients could see a delay in new life-saving treatments. Then there's the impact the shutdown's having on small businesses and entrepreneurs, the lifeblood of the U.S. economy. Small Business Administration, which loans money to startups and guarantees loans for small businesses, has been forced to close its doors, leaving in limbo billions of dollars earmarked for Main Street. The shutdown's impact on the economy is also far more serious than initially projected. On Tuesday, analysis by the Council of Economic Advisors showed that lost economic growth due to the shutdown is double initial estimates. And perhaps ironically, the shutdown has disproportionately hit the very people who helped put President Trump in office. Of the 10 states with the most affected federal employees per 10,000, six of them went for Trump in 2016. Joining me now is the governor of one of those states, Republican governor of South Dakota, Kristi Noem. Uh, governor, welcome. And before we get to the shutdown, I just want to mention you have done something historic. In an election cycle full of firsts, you became the first woman governor of South Dakota, and you don't get nearly the attention that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other women on the left get. Tell me, is that by default or by design, do you think? Well, I didn't campaign on my gender. I campaigned on my experience, my background, and my vision for the state of South Dakota. It certainly has been very special to be the first woman elected as governor in South Dakota. And I'm beginning to realize what it means to a lot of the women in our state, but also the young children, that this hmm. was the first time they had the opportunity to really see it in their hometown and in their state. But, you know, really, it is my vision for the state that resonated with folks. And that's what we talked about out on the campaign trail. And I'm looking forward to putting it into place. Well, congratulations. Uh, I thank you. you know, thank really you. Um, excited, excited for you and for for what this means for South Dakota and women. 
All right, let's get to the impact of the shutdown on your state. Um, as you know, the Department of the Interior and Ag, mm -hmm. those are both major employers in South Dakota and provide mm -hmm. vital services to other sectors and businesses in your state. What are you hearing from people um, being impacted by this shutdown? Mm -hmm. You know, there are folks that are impacted, and we've certainly uh, heard those stories and have seen it. But I don't want people to forget that we were being impacted by a porous southern border as well. One of the biggest challenges that we have in South Dakota today is a meth epidemic. And the vast majority of that meth came across that southern border, border illegally from Mexico. Uh, we're fighting the breakdown of families, addiction, cr rising crime. In fact, it took up a big portion mm -hmm. of my State of the State address just last week. So that porous southern border is a huge issue as well. And so the deal that the president put on the table today, uh, it's a reasonable proposal. It has items in there for Republicans and Democrats. And I'd encourage the Democrats and Pelosi to come to the table. Well, I'm going to I want to get to your advice to your former colleagues in, in mm -hmm. Congress in a second. But first, I want to go back to to what you just said. It's a good point and an mm -hmm. interesting one. Is do you think is there a calculation made by, say, farmers um, uh, who have been hit particularly hard by this shutdown in your state, many of whom voted for the president? Do you think they make the calculation that we support the fight for this border wall, mm -hmm. even if it comes at the expense of their own livelihoods? Well, the vast majority of the people in South Dakota want a secure border. They believe in upholding the laws of this uh, country, and that was very important to them during the last election cycle and since then. And they sure, all recognize even that if their it communities means have changed. Pay cuts? Even if well, it means they missing have, paychecks? Uh, the, the biggest... The biggest challenge that we have faced in South Dakota is the federal workers that haven't gotten their paychecks, and also some of our farmers have not been able to get their checks endorsed or cash that go through our farm programs. Right. I was very appreciative of the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, opening up offices so that that could happen this week. Hmm. That was incredibly helpful so they could go in there and do some paperwork and get some things done. And so I don't want to diminish the fact that we are feeling the impacts, but we yeah. also feel the impacts of illegal immigration, and that is very real every day in South Dakota as well. So as mm -hmm. I mentioned, you spent a couple of years in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and now you're sort of on the outside mm -hmm. looking in. What would you say yeah. to your former colleagues in Congress quickly uh, about resolving the shutdown? Well, you know, I was there for eight years, four mm -hmm. terms in the House, and at the, during that time, the Republicans were in the majority. So we had a lot of opportunities to get things done for the people of this country. I was part of the negotiation team and the finalizing uh, team to get tax cuts done that have mm -hmm. greatly helped the people in the state of South Dakota. I would encourage them to still continue mm -hmm. to look to solve problems. You know, I was one uh, person in my delegation in the House. I wasn't like Florida or California right. when I was there. They have dozens of members that could work for their states. I was the only one from South Dakota. Right. Yet I got dozens of bills done for my state. And I did it by reaching across the aisle, by talking to people that I could build coalitions with, and mm -hmm. focusing on uh, what we could do together to get solutions accomplished. Yeah. So we did uh, farm bills, two farm bills yeah. while I was there. I got bills passed that took federal land, gave it back to local communities, human trafficking legislation, yeah. a women's peace and security bill. So those good. things can yeah. be done if they decide to work with everyone they can build a coalition with. It's good advice to Republicans, Democrats, mm -hmm. the guy in the White House, reach across the aisle mm -hmm. and get things done. Governor Noam, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day.
Sure. Up next, the shocking video that's breaking the internet. Students in MAGA gear harassing a Native American elder. I'll speak to someone who saw the whole shameful thing. You've probably seen it by now, the viral video sweeping the internet of a mob of MAGA hat-wearing high school students surrounding a Native American chanting and drumming in the nation's capital at the Indigenous People's March. The Native elder was identified as Nathan Phillips, a member of the Omaha Nation and a Vietnam vet. He and others were harassed and taunted by students from Covington Catholic High School, a private all-boys school in Kentucky, who, according to the school's Facebook page, were in D.C. attending the March for Life. As the students clashed with another group, Phillips walked between them in an attempt to defuse the situation. The videos have drawn outrage from all corners. The communications director with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Covington released a brief statement today saying in part, we condemn the actions of the Covington Catholic High School students toward Nathan Phillips specifically and Native Americans in general. The matter is being investigated and we will take the appropriate action up to and including expulsion. Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico also tweeted, This veteran put his life on the line for our country. The student's display of blatant hate, disrespect, and intolerance is a signal of how common decency has decayed under this administration. Heartbreaking. And my CNN colleague Kirsten Powers tweeted at the school's superintendent, What are you going to do about this, Superintendent Mike Kleins? This is absolutely contrary to Catholic teaching, and you know it. Do something. Also, these boys need a better education. You are failing them. Well, those are some tough words, and clearly these boys are not getting a good education because it makes little sense to angrily chant, build the wall to a population with literally zero illegal immigrants who were here long before we were. You could also say their parents have failed them. We should teach our kids to treat people with respect, regardless of our politics and our differences. But ultimately, this failure is all of ours. I wish I could say to these students, there's no place for this in our society. You can't do this when you get older. But unfortunately, I'm wrong. Adults model this very behavior all the time on social media and on the street, and it's awful. So what I would say to these kids is, don't be like us, be better. I'm sorry that you see a president who talks gleefully about knocking people out and body slamming reporters. I'm sorry you see your elected officials inciting citizens to harass public officials at their homes and in restaurants. I'm sorry you see bigotry not only being tolerated but being boasted about. I'm sorry you live at a time when going viral is more rewarded than being moral. This is our fault. But you don't have to repeat our mistakes. Please don't. Okay, to discuss this, I'm joined by Chase Iron Eyes, spokesperson for the Indigenous People's March and attorney for the Lakota People's Law Project. Um, welcome and thanks for joining me. Nathan Thank Phillips has told, sure, Nathan Phillips has told CNN that these kids originally started shouting at a group of African Americans and he walked between them trying to break up the shouting match that followed. What did you think when you saw these kids starting to circle Nathan Phillips? Well, as an attorney, I felt that this qualified as a legal definition of assault. They were causing an, an apprehension uh, of uh, an object, objective uh, fear of offensive contact or harm. They were, they were very loud. 
very uh, aggressive, uh, very vocal, and they were disrupting. They were trying to drown out not only the group of African Americans, but Nathan Phillips, uh, Raymond Kingfisher, some of our elders who were closing out the a beautiful day of the Indigenous Peoples March. And it's, it's unfortunate that it had to end this way, but it's emblematic of, I think, where we're at in terms of race relations in our country. We feel that President Trump is giving license to some of this behavior in his rhetoric, in his behavior. Uh, he sets the tone for a lot of, of, of our citizens in this country. And when he says things like using Pocahontas as a racial slur, time and time again, making light of our genocide at Wounded Knee, where my family literally survived that massacre, uh, it's unfortunate, but it, it shows us where we're at and shows us how much work we have yeah. to do. So what you mentioned, they originally started by taunting a, a group of African-Americans. They moved over to, to Nathan Phillips and, and your group. What message do you think they were trying to send? What point do you think they were trying to make? I think they were expressing a lot of internal fear and angst about the potential race relations in this country. I, I think what we're seeing is a fear about losing their power dynamic some of their privilege with the increasing diversity, a hundred new women on Congress, two new Native Americans. What we see the policies of President Trump calling uh, Mexican, denigrating Mexicans, locking up uh, children in uh, you know, concentration camps. We're talking about indigenous children that have a right to cross these colonially imposed borders. So I think President Trump is not only, he's not taking us back 50 years. That's what it reminded me of. It reminded well, me of the jeers that people uh, yeah. faced when they were integrating schools. But it's exposing yeah. where, you know, the work that we have to do in terms of our social and racial relations well, and evolution. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because, uh, as you mentioned, I, I know you've seen a lot of racism in your day and in generations past. But were you surprised <coughs> to see it coming from such a young generation? Yes, uh, I was right there, and these were high school kids, but there was right. about 60 of them, and, and they all knew how to chant the same cheers, and it was mm. very, it was aggressive. It was just a very tense yeah. environment. It was so good to see uh, Nathan Phillips right here in the studio. Mm. He's okay that we avoided any physical confrontation, any violence, and, yeah. and that was the most important thing. So it, it, well, uh, these are young, impressionable people who yeah. I don't know. I, I looked for adults. I wanted to speak to an adult. Sure, I, sure. There was no adults in sight. There was no chaperones. So it's, it's encouraging to see them take responsibility yeah. for these children. And, and yeah. we need to work well, on a conciliation. I hope, I, I hope that it was at least some relief to you to know that this video, these videos went viral because we are horrified by them. Chase Iron Eyes, thank you so much for being on with me tonight. I appreciate it. Up next, I'll speak to the NBA star who is wanted in Turkey after criticizing the Erdogan government. President Trump was at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware today to pay respects to the returning remains of four Americans killed in a suicide bombing in Syria. ISIS has claimed responsibility for the deadly suicide bombing on Wednesday in the northern city of Membij, just weeks after Trump officials declared ISIS was defeated. Elsewhere in the region, Turkey is asking for an international arrest warrant for an NBA player, claiming he's a terrorist. While the New York Knicks flew overseas for a game against the Washington Wizards in London this week, center Ennis Cantor stayed home in New York, afraid of what might happen to him 
while abroad. That's because he is wanted by the Turkish government, which is reportedly seeking his extradition from the United States. Why is hard to explain. Cantor has been a vocal critic of Turkish President Erdogan, even calling him the Hitler of our century. Turkish newspaper Sabah has, uh, says Istanbul prosecutors are seeking an Interpol red notice, citing Cantor's ties to exiled Muslim cleric Fethullah Gulen and accusing him of providing financial support to his group. His Turkish passport was revoked in 2017. Joining me now, Senes Cantor. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for allowing me to be here. That's what I want to start with. You have mm. been vocal. You have been on television. Right. You have written an op-ed. Is talking about this publicly part of your way of ensuring your own safety? Well, uh, first I will say this. I play in an NBA and I have a very big platform. So I'm using this platform to be voice of all those innocent people who don't have a voice. Yeah. So that's why um, I talk about these issues. I talk about all the human uh, rights issues in Turkey and all the uh, freedom issues and uh, democracy issues in Turkey. Yeah. Well, and you talk about in this uh, AWAPO um, op-ed that I encourage everyone to read, you talk about the scariest day of your life. Right. In 2017, um, you were in Indonesia running a child's right. um, basketball camp for, for your charity. You were awakened in the middle of the night right. by someone. Um, knocking on the door, uh, saying the Indonesian police were searching for you. Yep. What was that like? Well, it was very scary because you're in a country that you don't know the language, and the intelligence service and army was l looking for me. Well, luckily, with my manager's help, well, I escaped the country. In the I middle of the night? Middle of the night. We, we, went to, we take the 5.30 uh, uh, flight to Singapore, and then I uh, landed in Romania after that, and they re revoked my passport. Did you know before that moment that mm -hmm. Erdogan had targeted you? Uh, well, I was because I was talking about these issues. Right. And then again, about this red notice, Erdogan uses his power abuse red notice system to hunt down his opposition and, you know, uh, scare them. So I'm wondering, I know you've talked to members of Congress. Right. And you've gotten some support and some help. Yeah. There. Have you been talking to anyone inside the White House or in the administration? Well, I mean, I would love to because I have not reached out to them yet or they haven't reached out to me yet. But if I have a chance, I would love to definitely sit down with Mr. Trump and talk about or what, how Erdogan uses power to abuse human rights in uh, Turkey. And I would, I would love to that because they know my story because I play in the NBA. There are mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of stories out there waiting to they be heard in, in, in Turkey, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would love to sit down with Mr. Trump and talk about these issues. Uh, well, I, I hope he hears that plea. I um, hope so. You still have family in Turkey? Yes, I do. Has this put a strain on, on you and your family there? It's tough because, well, it was two years ago, the police came to my house and raided my whole house, and they took every electronic away, phones away, computers away, laptops away. They wanted to see if I'm still in contact with my family or not. And if, if they would see any little text message, they will be all in jail. I haven't seen my family since 2015. Mm. And, you know, the crazy part is they don't even show New York Knicks games in Turkey just because I play for New York Knicks. Just because of you. So my mom and my dad cannot even watch my game. Um, that's horrifying and yes. very sad. Um, maybe they get CNN International. Mm. Maybe they'll see some of I your so. appearances. I really hope so. Definitely. And Iskander, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Thank it. you, guys. Uh, up next, former Secretary of State John Kerry joins David Axelrod on the Axe Files. Stay right there. That's it for us. Have a good night. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.